0: Good morning. Good morning. Can everyone hear me? Right? <laughs> About uh, five years ago, probably closer to five and a quarter years ago, I came home after work. I uh, found a message from uh, Sharon's doctor on the answering machine. Sharon was pregnant at the time, as she is at this time also. And the doctor basically encouraged us to urgently call them back. Uh, That was a Friday afternoon. And when we called the doctor back, the doctor gave us the devastating news to a a couple of uh, soon-to-be first-time parents that the daughter... Or child, we didn't know the sex of the child. Uh, probably had Down's and hydrocephalus, and that started a period of, of uh, one of the most difficult days of my life up to now. And praise the Lord! Uh, a lot of times people come to me afterward, well, what happened? Well, you've seen her running around; she's normal. There's no problem. And that one of the reasons we call her Eliana means my God has answered. We brought it to Him. In prayer. But that's secondary. Primarily, I would that you turn with me to the Epistle of James. The Epistle of James. The Epistle of James, the first chapter. We'll start at the second verse, James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The reason I turned to this verse and I told you my short story is because of what this verse 2 says. And it's all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials. What is a trial? A trial is a difficult period of time in which you're typically suffering. That's what a trial typically means. And yet the Bible tells us that we should count it all joy, which seems like an oxymoron or an impossibility. How can you rejoice in the midst of suffering? How could me and my wife rejoice hearing the news about our daughter. And yet the Bible tells us to rejoice. And uh, we'll keep this verse in mind as we turn to the book of First Samuel. And we'll look at the new person today. Again, we're at the series of looking at different characters or persons in the Bible with the purpose of finding... How their experience might be relevant to us today, and hopefully we will find that the verse we read in James connects the dots for us between the person we will study, which is Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and our lives today. we 'll start in verse one, first Samuel, chapter one and verse one. Now there was a certain man of Ramatayim Tzofim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Yeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord has closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. So we start here with Hannah, and we see that Hannah is going through a trial, which is one of the reasons I started with the verse in James about trials. It's interesting that it says when you go through various trials, count it all joy, it doesn't say if, I'm sorry, but none of us is exempted. The trials are assured. They're part of the Christian life. If you don't experience trials, there's a question if you're, if you're a Christian, but I don't think it's possible. I think even, even unbelievers, they don't experience trials in the same sense because there's no faith there for the Lord to use to work on their character. But God will still, everybody in this world, God will try to bring to the end of themselves to get them to turn to Him. But for Christians, there's a special purpose in trials that we'll talk about. And as we look at the story of Hannah, we'll see how she does in the midst of a trial. And again, we'll, we'll try to apply it to ourselves. There's two parts for this trial. The first part is, is the Lord. It says here that the Lord closed her womb. Usually we think of a trial as something bad happens to me. We got the news from the doctor that our daughter is going to be very sick or would have very serious uh, physical problems, but a trial can be simply a lack of something. There might be something that I want, and I can't have it. That can be a trial. We see that in the case of Hannah. She really wanted a child, and she didn't get the child, and so for her, it was a trial. There was a second aspect for this trial, which was Penina. Penina was the other wife of Elkanah, and she used the fact. That Hannah didn't have a child to make her miserable. And this is, might be one of the reasons uh, we should only marry one wife <laughs> to avoid this potential situation. But there was a rivalry between the two, probably for the love of Elkanah. And uh, Elkanah apparently preferred Hannah, even though Hannah hasn't produced him any children, which is technically a point against her, but he still loved her. And Penina. Uses the fact that she had children to suggest that she really was the better wife, and she used that to provoke Hannah. They said it correctly, Penina provoked Hannah. I tend to get names confused. Uh, let's just talk shortly about Penina here. The Lord has a perfect right to withhold from us a child. He is the one that gives children. I was going to get into that in a second. It's not right for Penina to think of herself as a better person, because she has children here. Let me read a couple of verses related to that. And uh, it will become important at the end of the sermon. We'll have some more comments about what Penina is doing here. But uh, she'll be kept out for most of it. We'll just focus on Hannah. But there's a verse in First Corinthians that says this, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. The point is, Penina wasn't the one who, by her ability, brought forth children. God is the one who gave her children. Well, if God is the one that gives you children, or God is the one who gave you something, how can you boast about it? It wasn't you. It's not like by your own goodness you produce this quality about yourself. It's a gift. It's something that God has given you. Now. Uh, it's interesting, often people do not recognize that it is God that gives them certain <coughs> gifts. Like children in this case. It could be that Penina didn't recognize that God had anything to do with it. Uh, there's a verse regarding that also in the scriptures. This is in Matthew. It says that, uh, that God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is God. He blesses everyone. He sends rain on the fields of everyone. On the good farmer, a farmer that loves God and a farmer that hates God. He makes the sun to shine both on on the wicked and the good. And so people are so used to the blessings of God that they don't give him the credit. They don't recognize that the blessings are coming from God. And as a result they start attributing it to themselves and they become proud and boasters like Penina and think that they're better than somebody else. So so Penina's perspective here is wrong and uh, we'll touch on that toward the end of the sermon as that becomes relevant. (coughs) Okay. So we're going to focus on Hannah. I'm just going to give you a heads up for those of you who take notes. Well, let me say this. God puts us through trials for our good. God is the one who withheld children from Hannah. And for Hannah, this was a terrible thing. And yet God was doing it for her good. As the verse that we were reading, which is why it said, count it all joy. As we, as we go through the passage, we'll see it. And I found what I feel to be six distinct benefits that will come to Penina to Hannah, as a result of this trial. So as, as we go through it, see if we can spot the benefits that come to Hannah as a result of this trial. Let's pick it up at verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. First we see here Elkanah trying to comfort Hannah in a not very effective manner. Uh, saying, well Hannah, you know, why are you crying? Why are you so upset? Hey, you, you got me. And it's not so much, I think, that Elkanah is boasting and he thinks he's, you know, such a wonderful man. I think the problem is Elkanah doesn't understand how much Hannah wants a child and it, it's a warning for me as other people go through trials often I'm like, well, you know, that's really not that big of a deal this person is clearly overreacting I don't know why they're so upset look, I'm in no position to understand the trial that you're experiencing just like El Elkanah here was I mean, he was a man men are made differently than women they don't have quite the same uh, passion or desire for a child that a woman has and so he's just not discerning really the trial she's going through And I might be easily in the same place with somebody else going through a trial. And if you're the one going through a trial, try to be gracious for the rest of us that don't understand the depth of your trial. It's real, as we see here in the case of Hannah. And yet, sometimes others will not discern how serious it is. Uh, We come here to the first benefit of the trial, which uh, most of us don't quite regard as a benefit, but a trial is an opportunity for us to display our faith in God to the glory of God. When the sun is shining and the rain is raining and all good things come your way, it's really easy to believe that God is in, in control and you know, He's working everything for everything for our good. Which is what the Bible says He does. But it's really easy to believe it when everything is going well. It's really difficult when you get that phone call from the doctor or whatever trial it is you're going through to believe that God is still in control and God is still working your good. It takes a lot of faith. But it's an opportunity for faith that God values. There's a story in the scriptures of uh, a woman coming after Jesus and she wants her daughter to be healed from demon possession. She's crying out after him and Jesus just keeps going as if he doesn't heal her. And the disciples say, come on, Jesus, you know, send her away. She keeps walking after us and crying out. And Jesus stops and talks to her and basically explains, look, you know, it's I came for the nation of Israel. You're, you're a Gentile. And i not one of the people. God gave me this, this mission, this gift to serve the nation of Israel, which was true. Okay, now he also came to bless the Gentiles. I mean the, the gospel spilled out to the to the Gentiles as well, but that wasn't known yet. And that woman, she she first was crying and Jesus was ignoring her, and now Jesus was basically saying something that sounds like he doesn't want to heal her daughter, he doesn't want to help her, and yet she still comes and she says something like, you know, but Lord, even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master table. Even if I'm not the main target of your grace, I believe that there is grace in you for me. You're still, you can still help me. And Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. And, And you realize he was just Creating this situation for her to demonstrate her faith, so he could demonstrate to the people or to his disciples the greatness of this woman's faith. And we're told that God does the same for us. I'll just read it. In First Peter uh, chapter one. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Here are the trials again. I'm sorry lost my place. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God puts his trials on us that the genuineness of our faith, that the faith that is actually there, will be shown. Like the, the gold, when you, you take uh, unpure gold and you burn it, you get away all the chaff, and it shows there's still something pure, there's real. Faith that God finds more precious than gold, and it's now being brought forth to the glory of God. And that's something you're not gonna get a you will not have a chance to do without a trial. God has to use trial to expose real true faith. It's the first benefit of a trial. Something we don't realize when we're going through a trial, but that's a benefit. God uses that for his glory. Second benefit. Second benefit is God uses trials to change our character. God uses trials to change our character. That's in the verse we read earlier. I'll just read it again for you. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Uh, Actually, let me stop because I'm getting ahead of myself. First of all, where am I getting it from the story? So here's Hannah. We're talking back about the faith. She's been... Without child for years, we're told for year after year she's been provoked on this subject. And she's provoked again, she's brought to tears, and what does she do? What does she, do? she turns Pray. to the Lord and cries out to the Lord for deliverance. She, she prays and asks Him for a child. Well, when she prays to God, when she comes to God, it's an evidence of faith. It says in the Bible, those who come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him." So there we have evidence of her faith. She comes to God and asks him to If she didn't believe that God was real, or that he had the power, or that he wanted or was interested in her good, she wouldn't be wasting her time coming to him. So coming to him and crying in prayer, to him in prayer, was evidence of her faith. Okay. Uh, Second benefit, I started to read, My brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There is work that's being done. God is using our faith here, the testing of our faith, to produce patience. And patience is now working that I might be perfect and complete. God is actually trying to change me. And the only way He's going to accomplish it is with trials. And it says here, He doesn't just try to change me. I mean, that might be a good thing. But He's trying to change me to make me perfect. Well, what's perfection? It's the Lord Jesus. And how do I know God wants to make me like the Lord Jesus? Because it says, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the great work and goal that God has for a believer, and the only way He can accomplish it is with trials, bringing us into difficult times. It's like if you want to change the shape of a metal, if, I mean, if you, you know, if you want to, you could break it, you could just snap it. If you really want to change the shape of a metal, you have to heat it up. And you have to apply pressure gradually to really change the shape. And the same way for God to change my character, he has to put me in some kind of heat. And he has to apply pressure the right way to actually change my character. Where do we see this with Hannah? Well, we see that in verse, again really in her prayer, in verse 11. Let me go ahead and read verse 11 again. You know what? Did I forget to read? Uh, Pick up at verse 8. Let me read at verse eight. I did. I read up to verse eleven. Okay, good. Uh, right. So look here again at uh, Hannah's prayer. It says, "O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maid servant, and remember me, and not forget your maid servant, but will give your maid servant." A male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. God has brought Hannah to the point where she said, I am not going to raise this child for myself. The child that you give me, I'm going to raise to you. You are going to be uh, first when it comes to my child. I'm not going to raise him with the purpose of me enjoying him. I'm not going to raise him to be a great football player. I'm not going to raise him to uh, be the new president. I'm going to raise him for the Lord. And that was a change in her character because it's not something she would have done before. And because we see this is really where the trial ends. The trial lasted for years. And now she reached a point where she says, You know what, Lord? I'm going to give my child for you. You will be first place in my child's life. And that was a new thing that she did and, and we see that's what really finally brought the child to end. That's the purpose that God was driving and putting her under this particular trial. Okay, We'll see it more clearly. I know the first time I read it, it seems like she's making a deal with God. Well, it's not. She's really declaring. She was really brought to a point where she recognized that God needs to be first in her child's life. Uh, well, first of all, how does that conform her to the image of Christ? Well, we talked about it this morning. I don't know if you remember in uh, the worship hour, we talked about Jesus putting the Father first. Jesus was, in a sense, a man like you and me. He was also the Son of God, but he had his own will. And yet he subjected his will to the fa- Father. He always put his father first, when it came to different areas of his life. Uh, Let me read some verses. (coughs) John 4.34 My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John 6.38 For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 8.29 and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. John 4:31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. M- Matthew 2:6:39. O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And as someone shared this morning, the Father answered to everything the Son did and said this, And lo, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Christ's life was an offering to God the Father. He put God first in everything that he did. And uh, we might be aware of the fact that Jesus was, among other things, an example for us. We're supposed to also let God rule our lives. We're supposed to offer ourselves to God and to do what God wants us to do instead of, of what I want to do. And there's the verse in uh, Romans uh, 12, I think probably most of the people here remember it better than me, but it says, uh, I'll just flip there since I don't remember it and I want to get it right. Romans 12 verse 1, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We are supposed to offer ourselves as an, uh, on the altar as a suffer, uh, sacrifice, as an offering to God. And a lot of people say, well the problem here for me as a Christian is as a living sacrifice I can always get up and step off the altar. And... uh I know it's true in my life, and uh, recently I've, I've had a reminder of that from the Lord, realizing that I don't really have my all on the altar. It, it's easy to say, well, Lord, here I am, I'm yours, do with me whatever you want to do. It's another thing for the Lord to come into different areas of our life and show us that he needs to be first in those areas. It, in the case of Hannah, it was with her child. He made her realize she needed to give that child to him. She needed to raise that child unto the Lord. Make the child the focus of her child's life. Make the Lord the focus of a child's life. In my case, uh, it was a uh, kind of a low-key trial I've been going through for some time. I mentioned it before. Uh, I've been looking for a house. Actually, I'm no longer looking for a house. <laughs> um, kind of, I put put that on hold as the, my job situation is uh, not not as secure as it used to be. But there was a time I was really looking intensely for a house. And uh, I just kept running into wolves. And it was kind of a little bit like Hannah here. Like, well, everybody else gets to have houses. Why can't I buy a house? And she was looking around at, at uh, Elkanah's other wife. She has children. Everybody else has children. Why can't I have children? And I was like, why can't I have a house? And uh, I came to realize, you know what? Unless the Lord gives me a house, I'm not going to be able to have a house. God, God really does make the sun shine, and He makes the rain rain, and He gives people houses. Yes, a lot of people that might not be, you know, righteous or good, may still be able to have houses, and the Lord gives it. He gives it abundantly. You know, He's He's good to all. But uh, for me, I, everybody really needs it from the Lord, and for whatever reason, the Lord was kind of blocking, just like He was blocking Hannah from having children. He was holding me back from having a house to make me realize, number one, that he gives the house. And so I started praying. I said, okay, Lord, give me a house. And a question came to me, why do you want it? (laughs) And uh, I, I had to think about that and stop and think about it. And I realized that all my answers were purely selfish. I wanted the house for me. I wanted a place that maybe would have a greater security than a rental property, or maybe have a certain you know value as a financial investment, or maybe a place that I can make myself more comfortable, not have to worry about what the uh, landlord will see one day that I do to the house, or expand the house. All kinds of things I could think of to do to make myself more comfortable. But it wasn't the Lord. Instead of thinking, well, you know, Lord, you know, this is... Really like to have a Bible study in this room and, you know, this house is yours and so me and my family will just live in these two rooms or three rooms and we'll leave the other one for maybe a visiting missionary. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can use a house for the Lord. And yet none of those was the reason I was looking after a house. And that's just an example of something the Lord wants in our life. He was working in Hannah's life wanting to have her give him first place in her child. And he's working in my life, and he wants me to give him first place in a house I buy, if it's his will for me to buy a house. And I believe the Lord is working in everybody here who tries to bring us, to give something to him. There's an area in our life we might be, you know, the Lord is not really there. It's not complete. Our character is not complete. And he wants us to give him that area too. He wants to conform us to Christ in that area of our life as well. Let's pick up in verse 12. And as it happened, and it happened as she continued, praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard, therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. We see here a third benefit uh, in my list of benefits. The first one was, it's an opportunity for faith. second one is, it's an opportunity for God to be changing our character. And the third benefit of a trial is it brings us closer to God. And I think that's something that everybody here that went through a trial probably felt. I know for me, before that uh, phone call, From the doctor, I was going through relatively dry times. I I was kind of involved I was involved in the work of the Lord I was uh, involved in Bible studies I was even teaching a Bible study but there was just kind of a dryness in me and this trial brought me really close to the Lord and uh, I believe we see here evidence that the trial did the same in in Deborah's life sorry, Hannah's life Uh, number one you can tell she's totally consumed in praying to the Lord because, you know, there she is, her lips are moving, her face must have been, you know, she was weeping. You know, her body language was such that that uh, the priest, Eli, just said she must be drunk. Because people usually have more kind of self-control over themselves. And she didn't, because she was just giving herself to the Lord in prayer. And that's one thing trials will do to us. They'll really drive us to our knees before the Lord, draw us really close to Him. And the second thing I see here, and I don't know if... if uh, you picked up on it the first reading. It's not as obvious. Eli says something relatively generic here. Okay, he says, Go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. So it's kind of a general, well, all right, you came here, you've been praying excellent, you know. Now God will give you what you want. And, uh, she takes it to heart. She can hear the Lord speaking to her through him. He's, he's the priest of Israel. He's the person that God has in that place. And he just says those words, and she believes it. And you can tell she believes it, because it says afterward that uh, you know, she went away, she ate, and her face was no longer set. As far as she concerned, it was done. God was going to give her a child. And uh, one of the things I found in my trials, and I've heard the same from other people who went through trials, there's a, a, you get a lot more from the Word of God when you're going through a trial. You might read the, the Bible, you may not get a lot, but when you're going through a trial, you read the Bible, and it just comes alive to you. The Lord is speaking to you through His Word, and that's what was happening here for to Deborah. So that's really the third benefit: is really trials just drive us closer to the Lord. We really get to enjoy His fellowship, like we can't without trials. Um, I, I remember uh, when I was going through that trial, and I was enjoying that closeness with the Lord, and I recognized, boy, you know, I can see how the Lord's using it for my good. I'm really getting closer to him, I'm appreciating his word more, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if, you know, he he heals our daughter, we have our healthy daughter, and I'm still really close to the Lord, and, you know, it's wonderful that he healed our daughter, and she didn't have the problems, but I have to confess that, you know, the trials go away, and it just kind of seems like we really struggle in staying really close to the Lord, it's like we need the trials to drive us to him. Otherwise, we're like the children of Israel. We have the plenty and we we start forgetting the Lord. So trials do bring benefits. Let's pick up in verse 19. (coughs) Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever." So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems good to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they had they slaughtered the bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, "My Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord, for this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him, therefore I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped him, they worshipped the Lord there." So we see here Hannah doing the unthinkable. He is a mother of a young child and she brings a young child. We don't know how old he was, but I'm going to guess he was probably no older than five. And she brought her child and left him with Eli the priest to be basically a servant of Eli and in that sense to serve the Lord in the tabernacle as she went back to her town. And, uh, it wasn't a lack of love for Samuel. Let me tell you that. It was a real love for the Lord. And this is the fourth, I mean, it was a promise that she made, but she's doing it with all her heart. This is not something she's doing grudgingly, as we will see from Rahim in a, in, in a few minutes. It's something she's doing with all her heart. And this is the fourth benefit I counted of a trial. It really leads us to appreciate the Lord more. He's really doing it out of an appreciation of the Lord. And the, the word that comes to my mind is that of worship. Worship. And you actually see it. It's in the first verse in this passage, in 19. It says, they worship before the Lord. It's in the last verse. It's uh, at the end of, uh, of verse 28. It says, so they worship the Lord. there, And it's an act of worship. To worship means to recognize the value of God. To realize this is something that the Lord truly has. Deserves. And I think we see a picture of this act of worship in the New Testament. Usually go from, people go from the New Testament to the Old Testament to show them pictures. I'm going to go to the New Testament to show you a picture. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 and verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why is this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be, to- be told as a memorial of her. So this is a story of a woman taking a bottle of perfume that uh, my best estimate from the money that's described here was probably worth tens of thousands of dollars. And she takes this bottle of perfume, she breaks it, and just pours it on and just, just anoints Jesus with it. And Jesus says it was something she did for her burial. She seems to be like the one person there that believed what Jesus said, that when he was going to Jerusalem, he was going to die. And she wanted to give him something. She took her most valuable possession and just used it for whatever she could do for the Lord. And uh, it was an act of worship. She was showing how much the Lord was worth. The Lord is worth this tens of thousands of dollars just used to anoint his body to prepare him for burial. And the disciples saw it and, you know, they thought this was crazy. Why this waste? And uh, what Hannah did here... <coughs> was of far more value than what this woman did. This woman was willing to separate herself from a few tens of thousands of dollars. Hannah was willing, and I don't want to take away from what she did, Hannah was willing to separate herself from her son. I mean, she did see him on a yearly basis, so it wasn't complete separation. She was willing to be separated from him for 11 months of the year or so. And uh, the Lord said about the woman and what she's done for him, that this was so precious in his sight that wherever the gospel was going to be preached, she was going to be found there. Her story, what she did for him would be found there because worship of God is so precious to the Lord. It's so precious to him that he keeps it in his word. And I believe that is why we have the story of Hannah preserved for us in the Old Testament. It's because of this act of worship they are being willing to give up her son for the Lord. Now I did have one comment here. People tend to say this. This is crazy. You know, How could you do that? How could you separate from your child from the Lord? How can you spend tens of thousands of dollars of perfume to anoint the Lord? This is crazy. Well, I, I ran across this passage in my daily reading this week. Uh, this is First Chronicle twenty nine, fourteen, and this is David talking, after he and Israel finished offering up to the Lord for the building of His temple all the all their gold and the silver and the precious possessions, and David says this about it. He says, "But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly as this?" For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. What David is saying, you know, how is it that we should be so privileged that we have all this stuff to give to you, to show you how much you are worth? You have given us a great privilege by giving us these things so we can offer them to you. And it's the same thing in the story of Hannah. She didn't have a child, she didn't have Samuel, and she recognized it. Without the Lord, I would never have him. And so, offering him to the Lord isn't unreasonable. It's in a sense of privilege. The Lord gave it to me, and now I can use Him to show the Lord how much I appreciate Him. And there's nothing in your life that you can give to God that's unreasonable, because everything you have is for Him. So, using what you have to worship God, to show God how much you appreciate Him, is actually the most reasonable thing you can do with what you have. I know it's hard for us. It's hard for us to you know, separate ourselves from things that are valuable to us. But everything we have is the Lord's, and the best thing we can have with what the Lord given to us is give it to Him. Show Him how much we appreciate Him, and that's exactly what what Hannah did here. <coughs> Picking up in chapter two, this is the hymn that Hannah said or the prayer that she prayed as she was offering Samuel, which is really again the the proof that she really did it with all of her heart. This wasn't something she did grudgingly. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were fool have hired themselves out for bread and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of his glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by silent, by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Well we see here a fifth benefit to trials and we see it very clearly in Hannah is she is greatly encouraged in the Lord, her joy in the Lord is increased, her confidence in him, her hope in him all these things have increased through the experience of, of this trial that she went through and the Lord bringing her up on the other side of it, she was able to really come to trust the Lord more, to really recognize the Lord's goodness, to believe in Him more. Remember, her, test was, was, her faith was tested through this trial, and yet at the end of this trial, now she sees really how much the Lord loves her, how much the Lord intends good for her, and she really can put her anchor more firmly on the hope that lies ahead for her, which we can do too. As, as we go through trials, we can really, the Lord brings us on the other side, we really recognize how much the Lord loves us, and how much the Lord really wants our best. And it's hope and it's faith that gets built up by trials. So it's a benefit of trial that comes to us. Uh, the second thing that comes out really strongly in this verse, and this, what, this is what brings us back to Penina, is there's a very strong warning in this passage. And I don't know how many of you caught it, but only half of this hymn is reserved to really praising God and expressing her encouragement. The other half really is a warning. Well, yes, those who are, who, who suffered and had little, the Lord blessed and gave much. But those that had much have been brought down. And, and the key here really is in verse three. It says, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him all actions are weighed. And I feel this verse is aimed at the peninas of the world who basically think this, you know, all the blessing I experience, you know, it's, it's kind of because I deserve it. And it's really mine. And I can boast in it and I can enjoy it and live, live it out for myself. Basically, living the Lord out of the picture. Whereas the truth is, the Lord gave them everything that they have. And what they have is really the Lord's. And instead of turning it back to the Lord in worship, they're keeping it for themselves to enjoy it. And what the passage says, look, it's going to get taken away from you. Okay, if, if you're here with that opinion, what you have is your own and it's somehow mine by right, and I can expect to keep it, is you're fooling yourself. Because everything came from God, and he's going to take it back. That's just the truth of it. Everything we have came from God, and it's all going back to him. And you can be like Hannah and rejoice in the fact that the Lord is coming back, because she loves him, and she's offered him everything that she has, and she knows that more good is coming. That's what the scripture tells us He tells us that when the Lord comes and and rewards the saints, he will say, you've been faithful with a little bit, I'm now going to give you something that has real value. Everything we have here that we offer to the Lord has really a small value. It has a value, but a small value. The Lord is going to give us things that have a lot more value to those of us that that are faithful stewards. And it's interesting to me, uh, and it kind of connects with this passage, there's a few places in the New Testament where Jesus speaks of himself uh, being viewed as a thief by the world. He says, I am coming like a thief in the night. Okay? He's not a thief. But why is he saying, I'm coming like a thief? It's because that's how he will be perceived by many people. Because they think that he's taking from them something that belongs to them. The truth is, it belongs to him. But they think it belongs to them, and when Jesus takes it, they'll view him as a thief. They'll, they'll cry, they'll regret his coming. Like someone regrets the coming of a thief that comes and takes everything to you own. Well it's really all God's, and if we offer it to God now we have nothing to worry about, and in fact we have the joy of, of expecting him and hearing the word good and faithful servant and receiving from him much greater riches. Let's turn to the last passage in verse eighteen. Samuel 2 and verse 18. (coughs) I mean, Samuel chapter 2, verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home, and the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived, and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So we come here to the end, and really the the good ending of the story. Hannah, she still gets somewhat to enjoy Samuel. She still gets to see him year by year, and brings him a a little coat every year. I don't know how many of you were touched by that little coat she made for him every year. And, and the Lord blessed her with more children. They so think, boy, you know, she got to have the best of both worlds. She's closer to the Lord now, and she has as many children as you could want. Uh, what, what really comes to me here as uh, the, the sixth benefit, if I've been counting correctly, is Hannah becomes a blessing to others. She gave Samuel to the Lord as an offering of worship to the Lord. And now the Lord is using Samuel to bless other people. And we'll see as, as we study about Samuel in a few weeks, that Samuel was perhaps the greatest judge of Israel ever had. He really turned the people back to God from idolatry. So really Hannah here, by, by putting the Lord first, and through this trial really that caused her to do it, she becomes a blessing to others. And really that's the sixth benefit of trials, is they make us blessings to others. <coughs> Let me read one verse that I think we're all familiar with, so we won't turn down. Jesus says this, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I believe the Lord is is here talking about the blessing that we can be to other people. Jesus says, if you believe in me, out of your heart will will flow rivers of living water, which, which is a picture for the blessing we can be to those around us. And I think it would be fair to say that this blessing to others from our life comes to the extent that God conforms us to the image of Christ. As we become more like Jesus, as we put God first, In more and more areas of our life, that is when we can become a blessing to others. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen, well, okay, I I believe in Jesus, well now I'll be a blessing to others. He has to work in us and make us a blessing to others. And that's the work that He accomplishes through trials in our lives. Let's thank Him for trials, shall we? Lord, thank you for your Love to us, we we recognize, Lord, that none of us enjoys going through trials, and yet you tell us, Lord, that we should count it as all joy because of the good thing that you do through trials in our lives. Lord, I know we have the choice of obeying you and of believing you and recognizing that the trials that you're doing in our lives are good. Help us, Lord, whether uh, we're going through a trial now or whether we'll be going through a trial in the future, to believe you And uh, do as the verse tells us to do. Let uh, the testing of our faith uh, that produces patience work in our lives and make us more and more like Jesus. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.